Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with Canadian cannabis industry experts. This podcast addresses numerous facets of the commercial cannabis marketplace, from plant health and cultivation to testing, extraction, and distribution. Visit growopportunity.ca to subscribe to our print and digital media platform. This episode is brought to you by Anton Parr. Great people, great instruments. CBD products and samples can impact consumer health and safety, so there's zero room for production error. Precise measurements must comply with strict government regulations, and you need a partner who understands the industry's specific safety and compliance standards. Anton Parr's comprehensive portfolio of measuring instruments ensures safety and, more importantly, consistency. We have a wide range of solutions covering your production and testing process. Hello and welcome to another episode of Grow Opportunity, the podcast. I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki, editor of Grow Opportunity Magazine. And today we're joined by our sponsor and special guest, Atri Maharaj of Anton Parr. Atri, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm quite well, thank you. Very well rested after a three-day weekend and excited for our conversation. Me too, me too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Atri is the National Sales Manager for Business Unit Characterization for Anton Parr. And as our guest today, we're going to dig into how exactly cannabis producers and manufacturers can benefit from these instruments that are produced by the company in terms of leveling up for quality, consistency, and shelf life. So I would love to just dive right in. And uh, if you would provide a background of the company, that would be a great place to start. Sure. Perfect. So again, my name is Andrew Maharaj. I've been with Anton Parr for six years now. We have been around for 101 years, and I love saying the 101. We celebrated our centennial last year. Our global headquarters is in Graz, Austria. We are an instrument manufacturer. We cover 15 different product lines that range anywhere from simple density tests all the way to something a bit more complicated like uh, x-ray diffraction or small angle x-ray scattering and everything in between, uh, as you can imagine. I know to some of the audience, this may seem a bit Greek, but um, that's something I'm hoping that we can discover a little bit more about together in our conversation together. So we are a a multinational company. Uh, We have 38 sales subsidiaries around the world. Anton Park Canada is based out of Montreal. Uh, And we have our team of sales, service, and support dispersed throughout the the country. I myself, I'm based out of Kitchener, Ontario, and I work on a daily basis with our team from the Maritimes all the way across to Vancouver, where I spent last week. That's wonderful. Yeah, you were saying that you're uh, you're out west for a conference. So, Anton Parr, you've you've extended into the Canadian cannabis market, but it's from mm-hmm. food and bev. Correct. So we were very well known in the food and beverage industry, in particular the beverage industry, uh, and that's where we started to make ourselves more well known to the cannabis industry. Because, as you know, one of the products of prime convenience, as we can say, for, for users in the, in the cannabis 2.0 frame of mind is the cannabis beverage, or rather I should say the CBD-infused beverage. So when you work, whether it's a beer-producing company, something as large as Molson, um, or soft drink, something like Coke and Pepsi, this is where we're known, uh, very well known, as I said, in the beverage industry to help assure quality and consistent quality in end products. And this is what we're trying to bring to the, the world of cannabis as well. Excellent. Yeah, you had mentioned that um, all these 2.0 cannabis products, like there, you know, there's there is a rush to get everything to market. 
But, you know, some of these companies might be missing the mark when it comes to um, not only quality, but also consistency. And that's something I want to talk to you about because um, I know that you've got a line there. I want to talk about um, the best buy dates because we don't currently have one, which I know that's something that we want to discuss. And yeah. Um, yeah, so let's let's talk about a little bit about quality and how uh, these instruments are lending themselves to that in the cannabis market. Quality, uh, as we know, uh, as consumers, this is what brings us back. To, to purchasing products. We may try something that has really fancy packaging, really great advertising one way or the other, but if we don't like it and we don't, or, or on the flip side, if we like it and we're not getting consistency behind it, there's no reason to continue to engage with that supplier. So this has been a pain for the industry as a whole. And I don't use that word lightly, pain, because it, it, you feel it up and down the, the supply chain in the cannabis industry, especially with the focus being put uh, more and more onto 2.0 products. You know, the from the historic market, as we like to say, uh, pre the pre uh, the end of prohibition, the consumers of the premium flower they know what they're getting. That's a very well defined market. But in the post-prohibition era, as we look towards ease of use of products, whether this is a vape, an edible, an infused beverage, one way or the other, the, the biggest pain here has been quality because, uh, as you described it so eloquently, there's been a rush to bring innovative products to market. But in this rush, we forgot about the quality side of things. Um, you can trace this all the way back to, to the flower. So uh, if I remember correctly, I think we, we shared a conversation once that you were trying to produce something cannabis-based at home, if I remember correctly. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I love to, you know, I, 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 I'm a folk medicine maker, if you will. I'll, you know, I dabble in the uh, kitchen and, uh, you know, I, I put things together. I don't really measure things, but I, okay. uh, I, I like to make salves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to make salves. I like to do like an infused cannabis coconut oil um, mm -hmm. and then put that into foods. And I've definitely mm -hmm. tried to make I've tried to make edibles, you know, my salves always end up really well, uh, really nice. And, you know, uh, they stay together, but my edibles, they separate right. like constantly. So I don't, you know, I <laughs> let's talk about emulsion because that is something that uh, <laughs> that's a, a huge topic. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we'll, we'll get to emulsions, but you, you use a very interesting word there. And that's where I wanted to start when we started talking about quality was right. the oil itself, because we start from the flower. Everybody knows the premium flower. And the expectation at the end of the, of the day is the premium product. And whether you're a grower, whether you're a consumer, whether you're somebody formulating, making emulsions, playing around in the kitchen, uh, as it were, you're, you're expecting that level of quality to be at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. So it all starts with an oil because this is the carrier of everything we're looking for in a CBD product, whether this is a 2.0 product or, or otherwise. So when you go through the extraction process, um, it, I, it can either be a solvent extraction process or a solvent-less extraction pro process. And this is where we get all the oils, the butters, distillates, all that good stuff that we eventually turn into gummies, beverages, etc. But as you know, from the most basic, a lot of people are using the CBD oils themselves. And as you go through the extraction process, you're not entirely sure if you have a good extraction process because nobody's measuring the quality of that oil that's being extracted. Uh, and this is the front line 
with our instruments coming into play. So are you producing the same thing again and again? Are you delivering that consistency? And that consistency creates the perception of quality or enhances the perception of quality, depending on, on, on your point of view there. So there's a simple test called refractive index. And what that is, is essentially you, you shine a light through the oil, we measure the refractive index. It can go as many as five, six, seven decimal places. And that will tell you just how much is changing over time. Perhaps there's some leftover solvent and we need to go back through the purification process. Perhaps you're switching from solvent to solventless extraction and you're not getting the same thing again and again, but it starts with the oil. And once you've worked your way around that CBD oil and you've assured yourself of a quality product, then everything else starts to fall in place there. For example, the emulsions that we were talking about. Now, something you mentioned a little bit earlier was about the best buy dates. I'm not sure if you've noticed this before, but uh, have you ever walked around the store? Have you ever noticed that there's no best buy date before? I can't say that I have, honestly. No, I haven't noticed that. This was a huge surprise to me as well, because I never thought about it. It's something we take for granted. Well, that's it. Um, I didn't, I don't think about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're so used to walking into the store and seeing a bag of chips or a can of soup or something. And there's a best buy date. And most of the times we, 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 we say, okay, yeah, that's just the manufacturer's guideline. It actually may be good, but this is something that we're missing in, in the cannabis industry. And it was a huge surprise to me. Someone in an LP mentioned to me, you know, we're not required to put uh, best buy dates on there. I said, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to someone from Health Canada and they said, yeah, that's true. It's one of the failings of the Cannabis Act. Uh, one of the many failings, but that's going to be another, <laughs> another discussion. For probably we'll, just, we'll just leave that one there. <laughs> we'll leave that one there. It's on ether. A lot of people know what we're talking about with yeah. this in the industry. I'm happy to have another conversation with someone else another time. But totally. um, for, the, for the sake of keeping our conversation a little bit more focused, the, the, this is one of the failings to producers and, and the customers. Because something that everybody talks about potency. And something that's not realized is depending on the end product with which we're working, that potency falls off a cliff after three months. Hmm. I have a great collaborator I work with in the US. Um, his name's Harold Hum. And he has authored quite a few reports, publications around this uh, and has the, the data to back this up, especially on beverages. But if you look at this and you interpolate it into other products, when you think about the, the potency falling off after three months, you end up in that situation where dosage also becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And somebody wants to understand, do I take one gummy? Do I take three gummies? Do I get impatient and take the whole bag? Do I have one sip? Am I get the same effect? Am I going to drink the whole bottle of an infused beverage and get the same effect or no effect at all? But this is where it all comes together. And it, it starts by, from that best by date. Uh, and again, the quality comes from not measuring uh, throughout the entire process. So it's something that we see a lot of in the beverage industry. This is this is one of the reasons that storefronts don't hold. You know, if, if you walk into a 7-Eleven today, uh, you'd see cases and cases and cases of Coke because we know what the shelf life of this is. But this is the hesitancy they have in storing those cases and cases and cases of beverages because they don't know what the shelf life is. They don't know what the potency is. They want to sell something they believe has great quality uh, and will have users coming back, but that's not something we're able to guarantee at this point. 
And so the issue then is that these products are separating over time and then it's the, the cannabinoids are degrading. Is that correct? Or they're just, or you still like, you might drink one beverage from one company um, mm -hmm. and it affects you. And then, you know, mm -hmm. you buy the same beverage and it's been sitting on the shelf a little longer and then it, there's no mm -hmm. effect. Is, yeah. Okay. There, there are two, two sides to that. So uh, that's the easiest way to think about it is the phase mm -hmm. separation. It, when you think about the phase separation, it's every formulator's nightmare to, to, to get there. You see that oil layer and the, that liquid layer, because essentially what we're doing is we're taking oil and water and everybody can imagine from washing <laughs> your dishes or cooking or something else, oil and water just don't mix. <laughs> they don't like to stay together. So you end up at a, a point where it will break down. Now, how do you work around this to understand where it doesn't break down? That's uh, that, that, that's another question. The right. other side to this is once you've figured out that emulsion, so that's what it is, right? Oil and water, you put them together, that's an emulsion. We would we, mention that a little bit before. So it, it's an oil and water emulsion to be more specific. But sometimes you can end up with this emulsion being well formulated, but then you put it into a container and then the container itself actually leaches out the oil. Hmm. This is, um, it's if I, if I put my physics hat on for a minute here, this is something we call the electrostatic effect. So anytime you put a solid into contact with a liquid, there is a net charge. And ideally, we would maximize this net charge, the negative charge or the repulsion, um, well, negative or positive, we would maximize that charge so that they repel each other so that these oil droplets in the water uh, stay away from each other and they're naturally pushing each other away. Think about like a magnet when mm -hmm. you try to bring two like charges together, they just push it, push, 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 and you can feel that. And that's what we're aiming for with the emulsion. Now, the net charge is one thing, but the other side is getting that down to the, the smaller sizes of the droplets. Typically, when you're formulating an emulsion, uh, an oil and water emulsion, you start with what we call a micro emulsion. What that means is those oil droplet sizes are microns large, usually hundreds of microns, tens of microns, depends on what your formulation process looks like. But because they're so big, gravity will affect them. So what gravity does is it's gonna pull the oil down and then they come together. And this is where you get that separation where you have the liquid, that oil layer and that water layer. And that's completely bad emulsion. Sometimes you can shake it up, bring it back, but is it well dispersed? Most likely not. So sure. what we want to end up with is a nano emulsion. And as the name applies, now your droplet sizes are the nano scale. Ideally, you'd like to have those droplets, some depending on what you're working with. So let's say you're working with, with a gummy, you want to be somewhere around, let's say 20 to 30 nanometers. If you're working with a beverage, less than 20 nanometers may be ideal. And then if you're looking at something more on the 3.0 side, then you're going to look at something that's sub 10 nanometers for more long-term stability. So what, smaller, what do you mean by 3.0 there? 3.0, as it's been explained to me as I've gone around industry, is more of the focus on the, the wellness side of, of, of cannabis and okay. cannabis products. And the way I think about that myself is not just like the oils that we're using nowadays in um, for CBD treatment or something else like that. 
Um, my mom, for example, when she was recovering from her for cancer surgery, she started using uh, the CBD oil for, for pain mm -hmm. relief. So that's mm -hmm. something on the market now. That's what I would consider a 2.0 product. Mm -hmm. But when you consider a 3.0 product, now we're looking into more medicinal applications behind this. For example, um, looking into cancer treatments themselves. There's mm -hmm. been some research done on to Delta 8 and Delta 9 mm -hmm. and how they can actually destroy cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a very extreme level of what I would call 3.0, mm -hmm. but um, the medicinal, the wellness side of things. When you say where... wellness, I see like topicals and bath bombs and, you know, skincare products and, and like hemp, like hemp hearts or something. Would that fall into that category as a food or is that totally separate? A little bit of both. Because, for example, the topicals is where I would put it more into the 3.0. But there is a bit of topicals today in the 2.0 as well. Okay. But, uh, I mean, long term, and when we're thinking about that greater need um, or greater use for society, that's where it comes more into the 3.0 side of things. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. As Thank I you understand. for that. Yeah, I and <laughs> I appreciate that. And so just back to the emulsion. So mm -hmm. um, is this so this is an instrument that you guys produce that is mm -hmm. is is doing that. So you're you know, you're binding your oil and water, essentially. Are you having to add anything else? Like, are there like, you know, in the food world, there's sunflower lessen mm -hmm. or, or something like that? Are mm -hmm. there other additives that you need for that? Or is mm -hmm. it strictly this instrument that you're using? So for oh, some of our home formulators out there, for example, it's not as simple as taking um, a CBD oil and putting a couple of drops into a liquid, whether it's a beverage or, or, or tea or something else like that, then stirring the living daylights out of it to get those droplets down small. Um, if it was that easy, we would all be happy. But you need a carrier oil, right? You mm -hmm. mentioned coconut oil, I, I believe, earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there is a derivative there called MCT oil that's most often used for, for food products because they're there are no side effects. There's no interactions with the CBD or the human body, et cetera. It's, it's actually quite um, prevalent in, in many different food or, or, or beverage products uh, now outside of the, the cannabis space. Mm -hmm. So you need a carrier oil to deliver the, the CBD into the beverage. Now, it all starts with a, a giant um, mixing process, uh, as I said. So you start with the micro emulsion. You have your carrier oil. You have your... Um, CBD oil, you have your bulk phase, as we call it, which would be the aqueous phase or the water. Um, that's the easiest way to describe it. And what you do is you're you're taking something and you shear the living daylights out of it. So imagine <laughs> like a mixer as we have like with our cake, right? But there's something else, there's like different blades, um, different geometries that you can use to, to shear this oil and water to break down the, the oil droplets from the micron size down to the nano size uh, and get them stable. But that's only part of it because, again, oil and water just really don't like to mix. So more often than not, you're going to be adding in a surfactant. There's something as simple as Arabic gum, for example. Now, most surfactants are synthetic. There mm -hmm. are natural surfactants out there. The problem is that they're quite expensive to produce. And given where we are these days in, in the cannabis industry, even though most consumers of, of cannabis products, CBD products would prefer the all natural, it's cost prohibitive to go off this route and you end up using these natural surfactants. And what a surfactant does is it coats itself around the oil, the oil droplet, and it, that it, it maximizes that repulsive charge, as I mentioned before, so that the, the droplets are pushing away from each other so that we, 
we get the small droplets and we get them repelled from each other to to keep the, the emulsion, to keep the, the entire system stable. Now, before I forget, the reason we're using those small droplets is because the oral bioavailability of CBD is horrifically low, mm -hmm. somewhere around 5 to 6%. So the best way to get that effect, the desired effect from CBD, is to increase the bioavailability. And that's why we have these smaller droplet sizes, so that you have more in a smaller dose. So the, the word surfactant, it looks like surface. Is that something to do with like more surface availability? Like um, like surface area or something like that? When you make these droplets smaller? It, it, I, I, the surface part of it, surfactant, comes from the fact that the surfactant binds to the surface of the droplet. I see, okay. So the way uh, the way I think about it is like a little, um, like a tadpole kind of a thing. We've, we've seen the... So like the, the tadpole starts swimming to the, towards the oil droplet and that head sticks onto the oil droplet and that tail is hanging around out there. Mm -hmm. And that tail, that's what's creating that little bit of an extra charge. So the like and the like, sorry, the like and the unlike have bonded, leaving only the like charges around the outside. Now that's creating that new surface. Gotcha. So when you get these uh, charges, the like charges repelling each other, that's what um, helps to keep the droplet size small and keep them stable. So you mentioned the instruments. The instruments to measure this is one of my favorites, actually. It's called the Light Sizer 500. Mm -hmm. What this is, is essentially you're taking a laser and you're shining the laser into the, the sample. Now, we're not exciting these things. We're not doing anything crazy to change the chemistry. All we're doing is we're looking at the light, hitting those droplets, and we're measuring how the light gets scattered. And that gives us information on the size of the droplet as well as the charge of the droplet. So you can say you can take a sample pre the, the mixing and the sharing and say, okay, I'm starting at 100 nanometers. How much force do I need to put in? How much mechanical force do I need to put in to get it down to the nano size? That's where another instrument comes in called the rheometer. So the rheometer measures the shear. And that's exactly what we're talking about, that, that force, that energy, the mechanical energy that you need to put into the system. Because the worst thing that can happen is you mix it, mix it, mix it, mix it. You've broken it down, but you've broken it down to the point that it's completely broken. Mm -hmm. Like we've all overwhipped eggs before, right? We've all <laughs> overwhipped a meringue and it's broken. And that's what happens. And so that's where the rheometer helps us to understand the mechanical force we're putting in. Um, so you're starting at 100. You figure out the force with, with, with the rheometer. You put that in. And then the light sizer would say, okay, boom, I've finished my mixing process. I'm at my 30 nanometers. I'm good to go. And then it'll also give you another number called the zeta potential, which is the charge, the net charge on the system. And that's a nice, simple number you can read out and say, boom, I'm stable. So instead of looking at something very quantitative, very qualitatively, excuse me, now you can add a quantitative factor and say, this is how I can fine tune my product. This is how I know I'm bringing something to market that's consistent. Not only is it consistent, it's of great quality. And that's where the instruments started to come into play. When you think about an emulsion, there are always three layers of stability to consider. There's a physical stability, which would be the droplet size. There's a mechanical stability, which is like that shear force that we were talking about earlier. And the third is the chemical stability. So chemical stability. Can you guess what 
we would be looking for in chemical stability? I'm not sure the charges of, of things. So in chemical stability, we think about oxidation. Mm. So in the oxidation, basically, it's exactly like it sounds. You have you have these products that are well sealed in a, in, in a package, whether this is like a, a bag of chips or a bottle or something, something we're used to. And you ever, over time, you notice, like, I'll go back to the bag of chips. You have the bag of chips, you open it up, and you leave it open. You start to get that stale flavor, right? Mm-hmm. That's the oxidation. That's the, the, and that impacts shelf life as well. And that's our chemical stability. So we have an instrument called the rapid oxy that helps you to understand what the oxidation stability is. What we do is most people, when they're trying to do an oxidation test, they have a giant oven. And the test takes 30 days to do. Now, who has time to formulate something, produce something, wait 30 days (laughs) to see how good it's going to hold up, and then put it out? Nobody, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's where the rapid oxy comes in. You can do the same test in three minutes or less. Amazing. And again, again, it gives you an actual number, which is something you can work with. And that's, that's one of the things I love about our instruments is it gives you something that you understand, something you can work with, something that can be fine-tuned on the quality side or the research side. So with, with the rapid oxy, we look at that chemical stability, that oxidation, and now it brings everything back. You know the particle size, you know the zeta potential, you know the oxidation, you know what's happened on the mixing process, and this feeds into that lovely little equation that you can create and say, my product will have a shelf life of three or longer. And now you're assuring people selling products, people consuming products, that you have a good, long-lasting, wholesome product that will be consistent. That's fantastic. And I like the word equation in there because it's something that you can then, you know, put into your SOPs and anyone can follow this this formula and then, you know, produce the exact same uh, consistent and high quality products at the end. So that's that's perfect. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And you'd also mentioned, I want to talk about one more product. You talked about microwaves. So what are they mm. doing and how are they popular in the cannabis industry? The microwaves were actually Anton Parr's first foray into the, the cannabis industry. So okay. I talked about the failings of the Cannabis Act. I'll give them some props now <laughs> to the writers of the of the Cannabis Act. <laughs> one of the smartest things they did is consider the safety of consumers. And one big part of that is the cannabis plant is quite an amazing plant. The roots are so strong that they ingest, it's probably not the right word, that's probably more of a human word than a plant word, (laughs) but um, absorb is probably the better way to describe it. They absorb all of the nutrients and everything there is in the soil. The problem with that is when you say everything, I mean everything. So if there is, if there's metals in the soil, something like uh, arsenic or, or 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 thorium, if you're working anywhere near a mining site, um, these all get absorbed out of the soil into the plant. And as you can imagine, whether you're consuming the the product on um, through a vape, through you know rolling it yourself uh, and consuming it, or ending up in a beverage, and if there's trace metal in there this is not good for the humans. So Mm -hmm. what the microwave does is it helps with what we call sample preparation. You take the the oil, you take the the end product, you take the cannabis plant itself and you digest it. What that means is you're taking some of this sample, you're putting it into an acid, you're heating it up 
and now you're breaking it down into its constituent parts. One of my favorite things on CSI for a lot of people is they think there's this magic machine in CSI, right? You know, you give them a sample and they print out this number, they look at this graph and they're like, oh my God, we just solved the case. <laughs> this is an instrument that's actually used in, in many labs. Um, it's called an ICP. We don't manufacture an ICP, um, but the microwave the, is what we work with. And the sample needs to be digested and be prepared in the microwave before it goes into the ICP and it gives us this magic graph that, um, to come back to my CSI analogy, solves the case for us. I see. And so are, is, is the microwave, is that just detect, detecting the heavy metals? Is there uh, an instrument then for removing impurities or is mm -hmm. that just up to the grower to, to ensure that their soil is, or whatever their, their medium is, is um, um, you know, free of, of uh, toxins? So the microwave is the first step. The ICP will help to identify what is in there, what the impurities, et cetera, are. And then now you can take it through your, um, your purification, your extraction process to remove those impurities. I see. Um, Perfect. And also to adjust the soil as well. Uh, I like that you brought up the soil. Most people start thinking about the end products. They forget about the soil and the growing. Uh -uh. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're right. But yeah. and that's why, like I said, uh, I, I agree with you. No, uh, it, it yeah. is a crucial factor into what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a gardener and, and I'm I'm doing raised beds because, you know, I, I, I haven't sampled the soil around here, but I have a pretty good mm. idea that just because of where I'm located, I'd rather, you know, make my own compost and, and purchase soil rather than use uh, what's already here because of contamination. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it's from many different factors, whether it's, mm -hmm. it's the rain, it's from other soils, pollutants from the air that are coming down, um, right. too many, too many different factors into it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, I, that's a pretty comprehensive. I love it. I love that we, we discussed uh, the different products and uh, some of the, the methods, the emulsions and things like that. Um, I want to talk briefly about, mm -hmm. um, so you had, oh yes, yeah, of course. So you had mentioned cannabis 3.0. So at the beginning we mm. talked about 2.0, so 2.0 mm -hmm. products being, and so um, I've also heard cannabis 3.0 be mentioned as sort of the next level for the cannabis industry in terms of refining uh, producer business models and things like that. And um, yes. I'm just curious, you know, in, in a few sentences, how Anton Park can help uh, producers and manufacturers level up then to, to enter cannabis 3.0. Cannabis 2.0 has been a very exciting time. One of the things I love about it is the amount of research that you see being done in academia as well as industry. There is a, a great lab at my alma mater, University of Windsor, um, John Trance Lab. The work that they're doing down there with cannabis uh, and cannabis products and what we see in the 2.0, but also starting to develop the 3.0 side of things, it's, it, it's remarkable um, and, and quite exciting from, from a scientific perspective where this is going. The, the 2.0 has taught us a lot of things, a lot of the growing pains with the industry, especially in the business model side of things, as you've discussed excuse me, as you've alluded to, rather. Mm -hmm. But the um, uh, uh, looking at it on the product side, we're seeing what works. We're seeing what the market wants. And the, the big thing that comes out of this is the word we used earlier, and I think it's somewhat overused, but also very eloquently used, is wellness. Mm -hmm. That's what we, we would like to, to, to see coming, that's the biggest benefit to, to, to humanity as a whole is 
is what it brings to us on the wellness side of things. And that's where the 3.0 is going, is much more to, to, to the humanistic side, um, um, maybe moving away from the recreational a little bit. The recreational will always be there, but um, more into what can, can help us be healthier, live longer uh, lives as a whole, um, longer quality lives as a whole, is the way, mm -hmm. is the way I see 3.0 um, shaping and uh, evolving. I love that. Absolutely. And are you guys involved in uh, in the international market? Are you um, selling products overseas anywhere to in, in, in within the cannabis space and more in the medical market? So we so Amphipar is um, as a global company, as a mm -hmm. as we mentioned at the top. Um, it depends very much on what regulatory practices look like in, in various jurisdictions. For sure. Uh, and, but our instruments are available to anywhere where research is allowed. Is probably the easiest way for me to say that. Beautiful, I mean, if yeah. You, even if you consider our neighbors to the south, um, there are many states where nothing can be done. Mm -hmm. And we have a subsidiary down there and instruments work down there. But again, we have to be compliant with state level laws as well as federal laws to make sure we, nobody runs foul of anyone else, right? Absolutely. Great. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add just uh, as a, for final words? Well, I'd say thank you very much for, for having me on. It's been a, a wonderful discussion and I uh, very much appreciate the, the back and forth that we shared. Hopefully yeah. um, we get to do this in person uh, one day again Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there are many great. more events upcoming. Um, ha hope, hope, hopefully we get to, to cross paths around there. I was at a food safety show um, a couple of weeks ago and we're, I was talking to someone from uh, the Maritimes and I was telling him that I'd be on the Grow podcast. I said, look out for it. And he says, he said to me, keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> so I love it. I say, I say what I can do on the scientific side is a small part to help everyone else um, with the instruments that, that, that we offer. It's, it's not just to sell an instrument, it's to help drive the industry and drive the innovation. Uh, and that's what we live. That's what we live for. So um, to, to honor my friend from the Maritimes, I'll, I'll keep fighting the good fight and happy to share <laughs> a conversation with anyone else uh, on any of the topics we've discussed in, in greater depth. That's fantastic. Thank you. And how can people find you? I am available on LinkedIn. Um, very easy to find me with my name on there, Atri Maharaj. And um, you can always contact me through Anton Parr as well. So if you go to our website, uh, anton-par.com, you'll be re redirected to the Canadian site. And um, you can uh, fill out one of our contact forms. You can get a hold of me there. Uh, you can reach out to our office in Montreal directly. And um, either myself or any of my colleagues would be happy to, to share a conversation. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Atri. Thanks, Haley. Thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't already, check out our latest issue on growopportunity.ca where you might also subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. Be sure to give us a follow on social. And again, I'm your host, Haley Nagasaki. We'll see you next time.